Have you been there? Your head is swimming. Your palms are sweaty. Your pulse is racing. Your heart is pounding. Oh, it looks so good, yet you know it's so wrong. There's a hunger. Do you feed it? It's out there. Do you need it? A hungry tiger roams the halls of your heart. Are you going to throw him some meat? Or will you put that tiger back in its cage? Rationalizations keep ricocheting through your mind. So what if I click on this website? Who will it hurt? Or they don't pay me enough anyway. No one will even know the money's gone. Or, yes, I looked at her test. It wasn't my fault I didn't have time to study last night. You see, there's a war raging, and you're caught in the middle. Right and wrong are slugging it out. Your allegiance is at stake. God is tugging in one direction, and a tempter is tugging in the other direction. You've been there, haven't you? Perhaps you were even there this past week in a temptation situation. Understand, we all get tempted. Fulton Sheen used to say, you are not tempted because you're evil, you're tempted because you're human. Even God incarnate, our Lord Jesus himself, was tempted by the devil. Hebrews 4 verse 15 goes as far as to say, in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Son of God was tempted, just as we're tempted. You see, the only person who's not tempted is the person who's dead. If you've got a pulse, you can expect temptation to raise its ugly head from time to time. And when it does, we need to be ready. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13 provide us some strategic help. Here are two vital verses. They teach us how to handle a temptation situation, what to expect, how it attacks, and the way to react. Here's a simple outline for us this morning. Verse 12 teaches us how to avoid it. In verse 13, how to survive it. Let's start with verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful of temptation. In other words, live on your tiptoes. Keep your head on a swivel. As much as is possible, you need to steer clear of temptation. Shun it, skirt it, shirk it. The best way to beat it is to never meet it. You see, the Christians in Corinth, they were a cocky bunch. They felt immune to temptation. This church was privileged and prosperous. God had blessed them in abundance. The Corinthian church had blossomed overnight. Miracles occurred on a regular basis. God's Spirit was at work visibly and tangibly. This church felt invincible. Like Israel of old, the Corinthian believers identified as God's special people. And that's why Paul uses Israel as an example to them. In 1 Corinthians 10, the beginning verses, he retraces Israel's steps through the wilderness. And sadly, the story teaches that a good beginning doesn't necessarily assure a happy ending. You see, Israel started well, but they ultimately failed. <coughs> Ancient Israel became self-sufficient and proud. It was haughtiness that led to their disastrous downfall. And now the same arrogance had appeared in Corinth. 
You know, ironically, we are never closer to temptation than when we think we're furthest from it. Pride sets us up for a downfall. Proverbs 16 verse 18 teaches us, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The best way to avoid a stumble is to remember you're vulnerable. The person who falls into temptation is often the person who's forgotten it's out there. Bobby Leach was a daring stuntman from Cornwall, England, a member of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Leach's claim to fame, though, was a barrel ride over Niagara Falls. He was the second person to accomplish such a feat. Bobby survived, and he walked away unscathed. Yet years later, Leach was walking down the street when he slipped on an orange peel. He fractured his leg. It became infected with gangrene. It was later amputated, and he died of complications two months later. Imagine that. The man who survived a barrel ride over a colossal waterfall broke his leg and died on an orange peel. Realize temptation catches us when we least expect it. You see, Satan probes around our edges and studies us to find a soft spot. And then he attacks from the blind side. You remember when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, Luke 4 verse 13 tells us, He departed from him until an opportune time. The enemy was never successful in trapping Jesus, but he was persistent. No sooner had Jesus defeated the devil that Satan began scouting for another opportunity to reload and to shoot again. This is why temptation so often comes on the heels of a spiritual high point. In the afterglow of a wonderful work of God, when we're feeling the most spiritual, suddenly an evil thought comes out of nowhere. Something happens that fans the flame of a dormant lust. Satan knows we're weakest when we think we're strongest. This is the reason Paul writes in verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. A friend of mine once gave me a quote I've never forgotten. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. A strength you take for granted can actually become a weakness. You know, men who hang the temporary lighting for convert, concerts and special events, they don't mind crawling around on rafters 75 feet above the auditorium floor. But when, what they complain about their jobs is that when they have a ceiling that's suspended just below the rafters, they know it's still 75 feet to the floor, but their mind plays tricks on them with that suspended ceiling. The drop ceiling creates the illusion that the floor is right below them. It lulls them to sleep. It makes them more vulnerable. When I'm conscious of my weakness, and I'm on my knees leaning on Jesus, then I'm strongest. It's when I think I'm standing rather than leaning. When I act as if I'm on my own, that's when I become prey to the tempter. The wise man has no illusions of self-confidence. He's learned not to play with temptation. He humbles himself and he tries to avoid temptation whenever he can. Portia Nelson once wrote a brief manuscript she entitled, An Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. Chapter 1. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. 
chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see that it's there. I still fall in. It's become a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's all my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. See, a growing wisdom translates into the avoidance of temptation. And this is the attitude Paul wants us to possess. Avoid the temptation situation whenever you can, whenever it's possible. But there are times when temptation is unavoidable. God never creates a temptation, but he does allow us to feel its heat. In verse 12, Paul tells us to avoid the temptation situation, to be humble, to be alert. But now in verse 13, he tells us how to survive the temptation. He writes to us, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able and with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Verse 13 tells us that when we're in the temptation situation, we need to remember four truths. First, you are not alone. Second, God is faithful. Third, the temptation will be bearable. And then fourth, there is always a way out. Let me give them to you again. You're not alone. God is faithful. The temptation will be bearable. And there is always a way out. First, God wants us to know that we're not alone in our struggle with temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Realize the battle you fight has been fought before. In fact, your exact same struggle is probably being fought right now by someone else sitting in this room. And it's comforting to know that we're not alone in this battle. God wants to promote empathy among us. Even if I'm not fighting the same temptation you are, be sure I'm fighting a temptation that's just as dangerous. It's been said temptation is the price for being human. The temptation situation is common to us all. There's a great definition for the term empathy. Empathy is your pain in my heart. And empathy is a powerful tool for combating temptation. To know that someone else feels what you feel. That someone else has the same struggle. It goes a long way toward easing the pressure on you. Listen to God's instructions to us in James 5 verse 16. He says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, often the strength to overcome a temptation is found in the prayers of a person who's overcome that same temptation himself. We need each other in the fight with temptation. You know, it's amazing how you can stand at an observation point overlooking a vast mountain range and you take two quarters 
and hold them an inch before your eyes, and you can't see the mountains anymore. They vanish from sight. Huge, majestic mountains are right in front of you, but you can't see their beauty or admire their strength because your point of view has been impeded. See, little things hinder us from seeing obvious things. And this is so often what happens in the temptation situation. Mountains of assistance are available to us. Experience from folks who've been there. Prayers from fellow strugglers. Wisdom from people who've overcome and now have empathy. But see, we don't see those resources because we're blinded by quarters of doubt and guilt and loneliness and pride. So often we assume no one can relate to us. My situation's unique. No one has ever been through exactly what I'm challenged to overcome. We figure everyone would be shocked if they knew what we were fighting. Surely other Christians don't have these problems. But the truth is, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Listen to how the Living Bible puts it. Remember this. The wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced the same problems before you, and no temptation is irresistible. See, we all need to recall it's not a sin to be tempted. Again, Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us that even Jesus was tempted, and it says, in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, I've had people come to me with a guilty, shameful look on their face. They're shaking their head. Oh, Pastor Sandy, you'll never believe the evil thoughts that I've been thinking. Oh, yes, I would. I live in the same neighborhood. I'm exposed to the same junk. I probably thought the same twisted thoughts myself. Martin Luther once said, evil thoughts are like birds. You can't stop them from flying over your head, but you can sure stop them from nesting in your hair. It's wrong to dwell on a sinful thought, but often we can't help thinking them when we first think them. Scripture indicates that Satan has access to our minds just as God does, that he can interject thoughts. One day Jesus asked his disciples the question, who do you say that I am? In Matthew 16, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus knew Peter's thought had come directly from God, and so he responds to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Yet it was on the very same afternoon, as Jesus was explaining how he was going to Jerusalem, how he was going to be crucified, Peter jumped in again. He said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And that's when Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Isn't that amazing? Peter had a thought from God, and on the heels of it came a thought from Satan. See, see, this is why it's no sin to be tempted with an evil thought. It becomes a sin by what happens next. Do we mull it over? Do we yield to its suggestion or do we dismiss it as fast as it came? Don't let being tempted and the embarrassment it might cause keep you from getting the help that you need to overcome that temptation. In the temptation situation, 
God knows we need one another's empathy. Well, second, in the temptation situation, God is faithful. Verse 13 tells us, and you should underline it in your Bible, but God is faithful. When you're being tempted, even if no one else knows about it, even if you feel so alone, you're not. For God will go through it with you. God doesn't bail on us when we're tempted. He is faithful to us in the temptation situation. The Bible says the reason that Jesus underwent temptation was to know how to help us when we encounter the tempter ourselves. Hebrews 2 verse 18 tells us, For in that Jesus himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know, sometimes we get overwhelmed by the temptation at hand. We figure that even God is at a loss. Well, God's never had to deal with a situation like mine, but not so. Jesus was tempted, and I quote, in all points as we are. Everything you go through, he's been through. Jesus knows precisely the insight you need to see through your confusion. He knows the exact amount of strength you need to resist the struggle that you're facing. Hebrews 4 encourages us in the heat of the battle. When we're in the midst of the temptation situation, we can run boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God is faithful to supply you the spiritual stamina and resources you need to fight the temptation and to win. God is faithful to us, even in a difficult situation. A man was once in the hospital. He had gone in for a battery of tests. He was under anesthesia when the doctor came and explained the results of the test to the man's wife. He said, ma'am, your husband has a very rare form of anemia. If not treated immediately, he's going to die. The good news is, is that with the proper rest and nutrition, he should recover. The doctor continued speaking to the man's wife. He said, now here's what you'll need to do for him. Wake up each day and fix him a hot breakfast. Pancakes, bacon, eggs, grits, a slice of fruit, etc. He'll need a beefy sandwich on home-baked bread for lunch and a meat and potatoes dinner each night. You'll have to make sure he gets a nap each afternoon. And since his immune system is weak, the house needs to be kept spotless. Well, about that same time, the man started to wake up. His wife turned to him and sobbed, Oh, honey, the doctor says you're going to die. Well, in contrast to that wife, in your time of testing, God is going to be faithful to you. When you're in that temptation situation, recall God has you there for a reason. It's the fiery trial that forges character in us. It's where our allegiance gets tested. See, when you're tempted and you're forced to choose and you choose well, it solidifies your devotion to God. Martin Luther used to say, a Christian who's been tempted and has resisted is worth a thousand who haven't been tempted at all. Overcoming temptation requires internalizing your faith. You can't ride on someone else's coattails through the fires of temptation. The temptation situation forces you to sift through your pat answers and develop a faith that really works. I've heard it said, and it's so true, 
temptations discover what we really are. There once was a man who trained his dog by tossing him a piece of meat. And just as the dog would start to eat it, the man would shout the command, No, stay! The dog resisted the temptation by looking away from the meat and into his master's face. And this is the key to us resisting temptation. Looking to our master. God is faithful. He'll be right there. He'll supply you what you need in that decisive moment. We need to look into the face of Jesus. Which leads us to our third point. In the temptation situation, God makes sure that the temptation is bearable. Paul tells us that the Lord will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God sees to it that we don't face any more temptation than we can handle. He's even willing to temper the temptation. The plight of the thresher is now a part of naval history. The thresher was a submarine that dove too deep. The accident occurred off of Cape Cod in 1963. As the pressure increased, the seawater crushed the sub's steel bulkheads as if they were made of cheap plastic. Salvage teams later found the wreckage in little small pieces. The tremendous pressure had just shattered the sub. And though the pressure for you to cave in might escalate, and the pull on you to give up might intensify, nevertheless, God has promised He has given us his word that he won't allow it to get too intense for us to handle. God promises to keep you and I from reaching our breaking point. You remember Job? God allowed Satan to push Job to the very brink. But there were limits. Satan could attack Job's wealth and health, but he had to spare his life. In Luke 22, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Satan was able to cripple Peter's faith, but he was not allowed to crush it. Jesus prayed for Peter and limited the temptation. Peter's faith would not fail. See, God keeps temptation within the range of our resistance in one of two ways. Sometimes he restricts the temptation. I once bought a go-kart for our kids, but before I gave it to the boys, I regulated the throttle to restrict its speed. I made sure that those kids could handle the go-kart. And at times, this is how God handles temptation. He installs a governor. He regulates the temptation from revving up too fast, overcoming his children. There's another way, though, that God keeps temptation from overwhelming us. You remember the thresher sub. It's ironic that fish swim and thrive at the same depths that crushed that submarine. And the reason the fish survive and the sub didn't is that the pressure inside the fish is equal to the pressure outside the fish. See, God can restrict the outer pressures of the temptation or... He can increase the inner resistance within the believer. Well, our first choice is always for God to limit our outer pressures. We pray, oh God, back it off. Please, Lord, give me some relief. God, make my way easier. But often God's plan is to increase our inner resistance. 
I like to call it spiritual isometrics. Isometrics is a form of exercise that works by your resistance. Rather than lift weights, you push against your own strength. And God is into isometrics. When you push against temptation, when you push back, it builds your faith. It increases your endurance and your stamina. It develops spiritual muscle. It was Mark Twain who once quipped, I can resist anything except temptation. Well, that's a funny quote, but it's a cop-out, really. It's a defeatist attitude. If you really believe in this morning's text, defeat is no longer an option. For listen to Paul's words again. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. If you yield to temptation, there's a problem somewhere, and it's not with God. Some of you may never admit it, but if the truth were known, you don't really believe, and you especially don't like that verse. When temptation comes calling, you automatically capitulate. It's your habit. You just toss in the towel without a fight. You hide behind excuses rather than rise up and believe in what God has said. You blame others for your weakness. Perhaps you even blame God. Some of you have complained. I've asked God to help. I've depended on Him. But the temptation was too strong. The urge was too much. I had no choice. I couldn't help myself. Oh, the problem's all about God. Reminds me of a poem by John Guest. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed, to find out why I killed the cat and blackened my wife's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find. And this is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy locked my dolly in the trunk. And so it follows naturally that I'm always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day. That's why I now gamble and throw away my pay. When I was three, I got ignored by my two brothers. And that's the reason why I poisoned all my lovers. I'm so glad since I've learned that lesson so well taught that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. People yield to temptation, then fail to accept the responsibility for doing so. Guys, God is not buying our excuses. If you succumb to temptation, it's not God's fault. Either you walked into the teeth of temptation rather than attempting to avoid it, or you tried fighting the battle alone without the empathy of a friend, or you just didn't trust God to help you. He said he would. But there's a problem, and God is not it. It reminds me of a little boy who was trying to save his money for a new bike. One night he prayed, Lord, help me save my money, and please don't let that ice cream man drive down our street tomorrow. Hey, maybe the reason we have problems resisting temptation is that we've never really identified the ice cream man in our lives. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to handle, but you can't bring it on yourself. God can do his part, but if you don't do your part, you can find yourself past the breaking point. Don't expect God to temper your temptation on the one hand, and then you invite it in and fan its flame on the other hand. A wise pastor once remarked, whenever I notice 
a romantic twinkle in the eye of a woman in the congregation, I always check to make sure it wasn't caused by a reflection of the gleam in my own. Know for sure, God will keep temptation from overwhelming us. If we're careful, we don't bring it on ourselves. Well, finally, in the temptation situation, God always provides us a way out. As Paul puts it in verse 13, But with the temptation, God will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. See, God is the ultimate escape artist. He promises to provide us an exit. Reminds me of the chase scenes in the old movies when the hero, he races through the castle. He turns into a room with no exit. There are no windows. Any moment now, the bad guys are going to break down the door. And in desperation, our hero, he leans against the bookshelf. And bingo, a panel moves. A hidden exit opens up. This is what God promises to do for us when we're chased by temptation. It might happen when you least expect it. It might occur in a mysterious manner at the last second. But God is faithful. He does provide an escape. Perhaps your way out is a verse that comes to mind at just the right moment. Or a phone call from a Christian friend. Or God engineers it where you miss your ride so you don't end up at the wrong place at the wrong time. Or maybe it's a reminder of some advice you received a long time ago. Or maybe it's a prick at your conscience. At times the escape is the still small whisper of the Holy Spirit nudging us away from potential danger. Your exodus could be the kiss your little girl plants on your cheek at night. How could you do anything to hurt her? God's exit plan could even include the family photo on your phone. You look at that picture and you remember you don't want to do anything that would break up that pose. See, God has many ways of escape. Some of you are too young to remember, but before the day of cell phones, we had pay phones where you could make a call for a quarter. Can you imagine such primitive things? Once a wise father, he wanted his daughter to always have a way out of the temptation situation. So whenever she went out on a date, he'd give her a quarter. And he'd tell her if the boy made any suggestion that his daughter wasn't comfortable with, she should call him and run it past dad. Well, over the years, there were some occasions when she actually used the quarter. But on the young lady's wedding night, the dad was surprised by a phone call. His daughter was on the line. She said, Dad, John just made an interesting suggestion. Is it okay now? (laughs) It was his daughter's way of thanking her dad for the years of protection and care. But here's my point. Our Heavenly Father will never send us out without a quarter. He is a cry away. He is just a prayer away. He always makes for us a way out if we want it. A church once hired a single assistant pastor. The senior pastor set the boy down to discuss the dangers of temptation. This young assistant tried to calm the man's fears. He said, Pastor, don't worry. I always socialize in group settings. I found there's safety in numbers. The old preacher responded. He said, Yes, son, there is safety in numbers, but there's even more safety in Exodus. 
And when we enter a temptation situation, we too should immediately start looking for the exits. Hey, if you're safety conscious, this is what you do when you first board an airplane, don't you? You familiarize yourself with the exits. The first rule in defensive driving is you look for the exits. You leave yourself a way out. In most public buildings, the fire exits are posted on the wall. We should be aware of the exits in the event we have to escape temptation. Notice the conclusion Paul draws from verse 13. In verse 14, he tells us, Therefore, my beloved, flee immorality. Always be looking for the exit signs. So when temptation does arise, you're ready to flee. Reminds me of the overweight fella. Every morning on his way to work, he'd pick up donuts for himself and his coworkers. When, we went, when he went on his diet, he, he had to stop the donut runs. And everybody understood. Everybody knew. But one day, he, he drove past the bakery where he used to buy the donuts. And he thought, maybe this morning God would make an exception for him. And so he prayed. He said, Lord, if you want me to pick up donuts for the office folks, let there be an open parking spot directly in front of the bakery. And sure enough, there it was. An empty spot right in front of the bakery. He found it on his eighth trip around the block. (laughs) Amazingly, for seven circles, God provided the man a way of escape by filling up all the parking spots. But apparently the man didn't want to be delivered, did he? He wasn't interested in an escape hatch. See, God is faithful, but so often we are flirtatious. It's been said, what makes resisting temptation difficult for many people is they don't want to discourage it completely. We flirt with temptation when God is telling us to flee from temptation. When the heat is on, God reveals an opportunity for us to get out of Dodge. Hey, make sure you're on the stagecoach leaving town. Well, we've been talking about the temptation situation. When you can, avoid it. When you can't, survive it. And remember these four keys to survival. First, you're not alone. You have friends who care about your struggle. They understand what you're going through. They've been right where you're at. Jesus understands too. He's qualified to help as well. Second, God is faithful. In the heat of the battle, you can trust him. God is faithful. He's going to stay with you. Third, Jesus even promises that the pressure of the temptation won't be more than you can handle. He'll either temper the temptation or he'll build up your resistance. And then fourth, look for a door of escape. Look for it to swing open when you need it most. Guys, let's trust the Lord. God will always be with you, even in the temptation situation.